Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Shanghai Mind. Arthur Ransom and the Origin of the Shanghai Mind. By Paul French. First published in the Los Angeles Review of Books, China Channel. Read by Paul French. People have long talked about Shanghai being different from the rest of China. Beijing scholars in the 1920s coined the term Haipai, Shanghai style, to criticise Shanghai's self-obsessive modernity. Shanghai was a bubble, a bastard child, somehow not fully China. It is true that Shanghai's history is distinctly different to that of other Chinese cities. It was not a crown colony, a dominion, a commonwealth, a Raj or a federated state. Shanghai was that other product of British imperialism, a treaty port. From 1842 until 1941, Shanghai was one of initially five settlements forced from China after the First Opium War of 1839 to 1842, and based on the notion of extraterritoriality, which meant that foreigners were exempted from the jurisdiction of local Chinese law. The Japanese invasion of Shanghai's foreign concessions after Pearl Harbour in 1941 meant the cancellation of the treaty port's lavish plans for its centenary celebrations. The Shanghai treaty port died at 99 and a half years old. Of all the treaty ports in China, none was as large, rich and cosmopolitan as Shanghai, not even close. Between the world wars, Shanghai was consistently the fourth or fifth largest city globally, after London, New York, Paris and sometimes Berlin, with approximately three and a half to four million people, and by far the most densely populated of them. Things were different in Shanghai. People thought differently in Shanghai. Or so it was said. The idea of a Shanghai mind was perhaps first and best quantified by the English author and journalist Arthur Ransom, who turned up in the city in January 1927, reporting for the Manchester Guardian and the Baltimore Sun. The legendary editor of the Guardian, C.P. Scott, had had the idea to send Ransom, He travelled out by ship in December 1926 and would return across the Soviet Union on the Trans-Siberian Railway six months later. His newspaper reports and articles on China appeared between January and August 1927 and covered the infamous Shanghai massacre of the communists and other leftist groups by Chiang Kai-shek's right-wing Guomindang in April that year. Inevitably, as a journalist, Ransom got a book out of his sojourn in China. Some things never change. The Chinese Puzzle was published in late 1927. Today, Ransom is best remembered as the author of the much-loved Swallows and Amazons series of children's books, and only really in Britain. Few remember that Ransom left his wife and children in 1913 to study Russian folklore in Moscow, worked as a foreign correspondent in World War I, and covered the Bolshevik Revolution, becoming sympathetic to the communist cause and growing close to both Lenin and Trotsky. In Moscow, Ransom met the woman who would become his second wife, Evgenia Shelepina, who was Trotsky's personal secretary. 
He was nearly 40. Evgenia was a decade younger and towered over him at six foot three inches. For a journalist trying to understand Russia in 1917, embarking on a love affair with Trotsky's secretary was the very definition of access. But it was a genuine relationship and they married in 1924 in England. In Memoirs of a British Agent, the British diplomat and intelligence officer R.H. Bruce Lockhart, who worked hard to destabilise the fledgling Bolshevik government, described Ransom as a Don Quixote with a walrus moustache, a sentimentalist who could always be relied upon to champion the underdog, and a visionary whose imagination had been fired by the Russian Revolution. They were exciting times. Ransom shared intelligence with London, but he was also considered to be a little too close perhaps to the Bolsheviks for decent society. Evgenia, travelling with Ransom to London, was suspected by British intelligence, suspicions that seemed to be confirmed by more recently declassified Soviet intelligence files of smuggling diamonds to various Comintern agents in Europe. London ultimately decided Ransom was probably loyal, if a little misguided in his politics and in his love life. Arthur Ransom began writing his phenomenally successful Swallows and Amazons series shortly after his return from China. They made him quite rich and able to indulge his passion for yachts. In 1941, he wrote a Swallows and Amazons adventure entitled Missy Lee, set in 1930s China, where the children encounter Chinese pirates. He died in 1967 in London. Evgenia died a few years later. They lived most of their lives together at Low Ludderburn, just east of Lake Windermere, in the English Lake District. Yet the ransom who arrived in Shanghai in 1927 was not yet the lovable yachtsman who wrote exciting adventure tales for children. Rather, he was a still-passionate socialist, not overly well disposed to the freebooting capitalists of the Shanghai International Settlement. The five months or so during which Ransom observed the city led him to these observations of the Shanghai mind. Describing the readership of the local English-language newspaper, the North China Daily News, he wrote in the Manchester Guardian on May 2nd, 1927, The Chinese naturally turn to these papers and judge England and England's policy by what they find there. It is impossible to persuade them that what they find is an expression not of the British, but of the Shanghai mind. Ransom was quite clear about where Shanghai lander loyalties lay. The Shanghai landers, as Americans and Europeans living in the city are often known, hold that loyalty begins at home and that their primary allegiance is to Shanghai. Shanghai landers of English extraction belong, if they belong to England at all, to an England that no longer exists. The idea that Shanghai and its community of Shanghai landers were somehow apart from both China and their home countries was echoed at around the same time by the Sinologist and former Chinese maritime customs officer L.A. Lyle. The British residents in Shanghai are the spoilt children of the empire. They pay no taxes to China except that landowners pay a very small land tax and no taxes to England. Judges and consuls are provided for them. They are protected by the British fleet and for several years they have had in addition a British army to defend them. And for all this expenditure, the British taxpayer pays. In his memoir, The Chinese Puzzle, Ransom expanded on the term Shanghai Mind, referring to the international settlement and its inhabitants as a hermetically sealed glass case. He made the very good point that China was often misguided on official British policy towards the country because it listened to the British Shanghailander opinion and confused the two. It was also the case, as some critics of the Chinese puzzle pointed out, 
that Bolshevik-loving, red-leaning, patriotism-questionable ransom was not exactly in tune with official British foreign policy either. Still, it is hard not to draw parallels between the Shanghai landers that Ransom encountered and today's cadre of multinational, self-appointed China experts in Shanghai and in Beijing and elsewhere who express a variety of opinions on China that may, or more likely may not, represent the views of the foreign offices of their home nations and in so doing muddy the waters for those reading their op-eds. All in all, the Chinese puzzle is, like many journalist books out of China, a slightly enlarged gathering of his China reportage. Former British Prime Minister David Lloyd George, who was out of office but still leader of the Liberal Party, had enjoyed Ransom's China reporting and suggested the collection. He even offered to write a forward, which Ransom jumped on as a very good idea to help sales. Ransom wanted to get the book out as soon as possible, while his China travels and the bloody events of spring 1927 were still fresh in readers' minds. Unfortunately, Lloyd George refused to write the foreword until he had read the final proofs, which delayed publication, and Ransom missed the boat, when the situation in China moved remorselessly on, with Chiang Kai-shek's suppression of the warlords and the successful northern campaign to unify China. While Chiang had been the villain of 1927, he was now the good general, crushing banded armies and bringing China together as one nation under a single nationalist government. When it finally appeared... The book sold very poorly. Nor did Shanghai landers take Ransom's characterisation of their psychology lying down. The Guardian was flooded with letters and telegrams. It reprinted a few rejoinders, most of which were of the the Chinese don't understand concepts of law and order and London has been far too indulgent of the nationalist government variety. Still, while Ransom essentially had Shanghai landers nailed, one has to have a certain sympathy for one letter writer, a Mr John Talent's Winard Brook of Bowden in Cheshire, who had recently returned to England after 20 years as an architect in Shanghai. Mr Brook pointed out that we in Shanghai are becoming accustomed to the attacks of touring journalists who spend a month or two in China, perhaps a day in Shanghai, and then go home to write their books on China. One thing everyone agreed on was that Shanghai was unique and critical to the trading success of the wider Yangtze Delta and China's vast hinterlands. That hasn't changed. It's also true that contemporary Shanghai landers and Shanghainese feel that their port is China's most advanced, modern and stylish city, while the capital city to the north continues to either sneer down its scholarly nose at vulgar Shanghai, or to be concerned that Shanghai is not as party-respectful as the Beijing bosses would like. The Shanghai mind didn't die with the treaty port and nor did Shanghai's special status in China. In the 1980s, Deng Xiaoping put Shanghai at the back of the queue for reform and opening up. He knew what happens when you open the cage door on a ravenous tiger. 